0: Welcome to Ship Out Loud, where we amplify the voices of Hispanic leaders in STEM. I'm Chris Wilkie, Ship CEO and your podcast host, and I'm very excited about this month's episode, as we're going to get a little more personal than usual with our guest Today, we're talking with Claudia Dulac, Senior Vice President, Head of Diversity and Inclusion for and Investment Solution Groups, and she is a powerhouse Latina executive, and while her career success is undeniable, It's actually her personal story that I'm most excited to share with you. She's an immigrant, a single mother and a diversity pioneer within her immediate family and her personal transformations with regards to how she sees herself and everyone around her makes her the caring executive that she is today. And so without further ado, please settle in and let's listen to Claudia Dulac speak out loud. Claudia, welcome and and I'm so glad you're here with us today. You know, I've I've looked through your resume. We've talked uh, many times about some of your background and stuff. And as a woman, you really just, you know, you've broken through so many ceilings along the way. And I I think the first time we met, you talked a lot about your journey and the beginning. And so I'd love for you to just take us there and kick us off with. Talking a little bit about immigrating into the U.S. at four years old and and how that just kind of set the foundation for everything that you've accomplished in the years to come.
1: Thanks so much, Chris. And it's great to be here with everybody and to talk with you. Um, we did have a great connection where we had the opportunity to meet. So I'm really excited to have this dialogue with you. So as Chris said, I came to the U.S. when I was four years old from Columbia. Uh, with my parents and my three little brothers. And we moved to Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And my father picked Bucks County because of the schools. And, uh, you know, he had a big love and fascination for education. Um, and so it was important and it was in, you know, instilled in me at an early age that doing well in school was really important. And it was never a question that I was going to go to college. So I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. The conversation at home and the values were to work really hard. But one of the things that I want to share with everyone is that through that journey, I was a little different because I am Latina. And back then, I was the only Latina in my school. My class graduated 1200. So the one thing I I do want to mention is that I stayed true to myself. And what I mean by that is I've always felt like I'm warmer, I'm more caring, I'm just I just feel different um than the people around me and I stay true to those values and I think they've actually helped me tremendously in my success and along with that comes building relationships um I never realized that that was a gift that I had but as we all know that's extremely important um in everything that we do um and at this point in my career with all of the gratitude of the people that have helped me along I feel a great sense of responsibility right so I invest in others, and that has taught me a lot about equity, right, and, and what we need to make sure that we're all successful in this. So I'm a mentor and a sponsor of many of our teammates, and I think all of that creates that success, Chris, right, because it's a full circle of who you are and the value that you bring.
0: And, you know, if we go back into those childhood years, what were a couple of those examples along the way where you knew you were standing out, you knew things were slightly different, and yet you were able to overcome those. They helped shape who you are as a person today. But I mean, are there one or two stories that really stand out that you wouldn't mind sharing?
1: Yes, I have. I have two that I can think of. I remember being in high school and I had a teacher and she seemed off that day. And so at the end of the class, I went up to her when everybody was gone and I said to her, You know, you seem sad today, and I just want to make sure you're okay uh, because you're such a wonderful teacher. And she thanked me, and that was it. And then the last day of school, she said, I'd like you to stay after. I, I want to say something to you. And she, I won't share what she said in detail, but she had a serious medical problem during that time. And she said, You are very special, Claudia. She said, There's something about you. And the fact that you came up to me after class, you have no idea the impact that had on me, please don't change that about yourself. Mm. I found that to be like fascinating. I'll never forget that conversation. Um, I also um, had in my career a time where I was told I was too nice to my team. And I decided, you know, you have to decide, right? There's, there's, a, there's a how you do things, right? And then there's the outcomes that we're all expected to deliver. And my feeling is I like to treat people with dignity. I like to inspire people. I'm very clear in the feedback. I don't muddy the, the bad news. But I don't think that you have to take away somebody's integrity or somebody's value to do that. And so, you know, I've made choices in my career where I've gotten that feedback and I've said, I'm not doing it your way. Right. I'm doing it my way. And it's working. So we're going to continue to do it that way.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that, that piece of, you know, to your point of treating people as people and, Mm -hmm. and recognizing that they're more than just that deliverable that's required for their job is, is so important. And, and when we, you know, when we keep talking and you've hit on it a couple of times already today about how you treat people and how you're kind of your overall outcome around just your teammates, your friends, your family, et cetera. It's this incredible example of love and acceptance in, in all these different elements of your life, right? At ship one of our biggest core values is Familia and I'm wondering. What's your definition of that personally and professionally, given all these elements that, that kind of fold into what I'm assuming is your overall familia?
1: Yeah. So I, I think familia are the people that you love and the people that love you back. You know, and for me, it started with my parents. Like, I can't think of any two people that demonstrated unconditional love the way they did. You know, they had the courage to move here. They left their families. Our, our specific uh, story was not that they had to leave. It wasn't a story of exile or anything like that, but they chose to come here to make a better future for their children. I think that's incredible, an incredible demonstration of love. I look at my daughters. I have two amazing daughters, and I'm so grateful for the women they would become. they brought bought me, like, great learning, great love, happiness. Laughter, like it's been incredible. And then my ex husband I mean, we've been best friends for over 35 years. He knows I'm not going anywhere, that I am his true friend, and he's my true friend. And when I think of these people in my life, not only do I love them with everything, but they're the people that are there for me always and love me back and support me in whatever I do and love me when I don't do good things. (laughs) Right. So loving each other unconditionally. I think as far as work goes, there are the people around you. I I think you should have good relationships, period, at work. But as far as who you hold closer, you know who those people are, right? They're the people that you can count on. They're the people that you feel that having that relationship with them is helping them grow or progress in their journey. So- those are the the choices we make as we move through life, right? Who's in our life, who's not in our life, and to what extent are they in our lives? But to me, familia is the closest circle that you have, regardless of where you are.
0: I love that. And at SHIP, you know, probably 80% of our members are college students, and and the majority of the remaining 20% are in their, their early career. And you know, I think as, as the Hispanic community, you have this sense of a family kind of ingrained into you from very beginning of, of your life, all the way up through. And then you get out in the professional world and you're exposed and and thrown in with, with all these other different types of people, um, who, who don't necessarily have that same understanding. And so I'm curious, any advice that you would give for our, our membership and those listening that are in those college age years, those early 20 years of man, you get out in the world, how do you, how do you develop and establish those? those genuine professional relationships versus, you know, those that you just kind of have to to manage and deal with to to deliver the job?
1: Well, I mean, I think first of all, you have to go with your instincts, right? And, and you know, when you meet somebody who is good and is looking for the best interest of the team and is looking for the best interest of, of whatever you're trying to accomplish, and there's always going to be people who are smart who maybe have their own agendas. Um, and so I don't, I, I guess the one thing I would say is I don't get emotionally tied to situations. I look at it as what is the value that I'm here to provide? So if it's somebody that I don't get along with as well, or we don't have similar approaches to things, I think about how do I make this the best possible case scenario? How do I make this the best situation? How do I make sure that I am representing who I am? in this conversation and in this situation and in this project, whatever you're working on. Um, with the people that you get along with, I think you probably do that, but you do it exponentially, right? Because it's just, it's just the nature of being a, a human being. The piece I would say to our younger listeners is understand what you need and who you are in the equation and don't let um, what others bring to the table alter that in a negative way. Obviously, we want to change in a positive way, but if something is happening where it isn't going in the direction that you would like it to be, or that it is not reflective of you growing and being a better person, then stand up for yourself. I mean, I've had had to stand up for myself in situations that were not, that were, um, I should say, I felt like, well, I'm either going to get promoted today or I'm going to get fired, you know? (laughs) Um, but it's it's in the delivery of the message too. I I just think you have to stay true to who you are, and and I think all of us are always trying to make that assessment right and staying true to that.
0: Yeah, and I've got uh, about thirty five percent of our membership are are females, and so I love not only your story and your journey, but. When you look professionally, I mean, you've, you've held multiple positions. If I remember correctly, you're, you're the first woman in some of those along the way. And you've walked in and, and not only navigated a male dominant environment that you've mastered it in many places and many ways to get to where you're at. And so for our Shatina's listening, you know, again, kind of that, those college yours, what's the word of advice on how to establish yourself and how to navigate uh, in the, in the stone world, predominantly a, a male-dominated in, environment?
1: Yeah, I would say two things. I would say, number one, what are your true strengths? And I said this earlier, I think my warmth and my ability to connect with people are my true strengths and that's who I am. And I think that is the gift of many females and many Latinas, right? And so I, I, I say leverage your gifts. And sometimes we don't see our gifts because they come naturally. I think you always need to be prepared. You know, one of the things I want to do when I enter any role is be prepared to add value and, and do it with grace, right? And professionalism and listening on, on what it is, what is the right timing, all of those things. But I also think you need to be mindful of where you are. Right. Like I work for Bank of America, Meryl, and I feel like I can be my total true self here. And so I know for a fact that maybe not every organization is that way. So are you in the right place as well? Right. Because we want we want to make sure that we also belong where we sit. And I've been afforded an amazing opportunity to work for a company that truly believes those values. And so I feel safe in being my total self and, and not to make it sound like it's, it's not the truth, but the truth is when you are that person, you bring your best self to work every day and that's only going to benefit everybody around you.
0: No, I mean, I think, you know, all, all great points, uh, Claudia. And, you know, for me personally, as, as we roll up into convention here in, in Charlotte with SHIP, you know, it's, it's a piece i balance on my staff right now or this time of year where, you know, they're. They're working the long hours they're doing a lot a lot above and beyond what they normally would be doing in other parts of the year and and reminding them constantly of like hey you've got to take care of yourself because if yourself is at all then there's there's no way you're you're able to bring your best to to convention or or even to the other areas of the organization so I, i very much lean into and appreciate what you're saying there I want to get the step back into the topic of family for a minute and, and really ask you to, to share and lean into a little bit about the dynamics of being a mother and raising a family and the cultural components that come from that as, as a Latina. And then also this powerhouse executive that you are and, (laughs) and how you know, how you balance all of that.
1: Yeah. So, and listen, I, I was doing this when a lot of the conversation we have today around um, making sure that we're giving people what they need at work was, was very different. I feel when I look back, I feel very proud of how I balanced it. What I would share is that I worked really hard, but I found a way to work hard without compromising what mattered to me the most, which, which was my daughters and at the time, my husband. So I'll give you an example. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, I was offered a vice president position. I was 26 years old and I declined it because I was getting ready to have my first baby and I didn't want that. Now, is that the the same answer for everybody? No, but that was the right answer for me. Okay. You know, speed ahead. I'm getting promoted. I'm having opportunities. At the time I was married. So the one thing we did really well as a partnership is when I was getting promoted and I was working crazy hours, he was helping more with the kids. When he was getting promoted, or he or so so you have to find your support system. I had a mom who could help me with the kids if they were sick or, you know, and it was, so so all of that balance takes planning and thoughtfulness. What I will tell you is I never missed a concert. I never missed a Halloween parade. I was the chaperone to all the trips because I planned it, right? So, you know, even today, I'm the person who may step away at six o'clock to go eat dinner, have family time. And then I come back later and check my email. So you have to find the boundaries for yourself, first of all, because there's no right or wrong. You have to decide how high do you want to go? You know, what is right for you and your priorities Because the reality is there is a give and take, right? What I will tell you has been the most fascinating outcome because I did want to be a stay-at-home mom, I'll be honest. And I couldn't, you know, it didn't work for us financially. But now my daughters are so proud of me, you know, because when I am with them and we do things together, I'm 100% invested in, in, in being with them and being the best mom possible. But they're also really proud of the impact with the work that I do. Um, and who I've become, because I'll be honest with you, the person you become at work in many cases makes you a better mother, right? I'm a better communicator. I'm much better at sharing how I feel. Um, I'm better at giving them feedback. All of these things and all of these skills that I've developed in my work have made me a better mother. So I look at it that way. And, you know, I don't have any regrets. And I just would say to the audience, you need to, No, and and you it might be different this week than it is next year right but as you go through life's journey you need to be able to assess am I doing what I want or is the train leaving without me right because that's what you don't want because I think that's where regret comes in
0: yeah Yeah, and I think you know when I look back over my career and I'm listening to you and I think about that overall journey it's 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 hard sometimes because even the The highest highs on the personal side might be some of the lowest lows on the professional side or vice versa, because there's always this give and take, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in order to put the hours in and get the promotion and move to the next level, those are the times that I've had to sacrifice the most on a personal level in order to have that growth professionally. And it's weird. You would think that, you know, the highs equate to the highs all the way around. And the lows equate to the lows all the way around. And, and oftentimes I think when I look back over 20 years, the highest highest professionally is, are, are, some of the biggest challenges personally to make sure that that relationship is, is not completely neglected. And, and to your point, how do you find that balance and how does that communication play in? Any, uh, you know, I mean, any, any, any piece that you you have similar experiences or, you know, are you fortunate enough where the highs have been high, they've been high across the board? I
1: I think you're right to some extent where I've had to invest the most time to have, you know, the successful outcomes have taken me away from my family more. But I also think I want to go back to where you work, right? Today's Mm -hmm. environment is very different than when I was younger. You know, before you, there was no consideration to what date it was if there was a meeting or what time a meeting started, and all of that has changed. At least where I work, I will tell you our company lives its values, and because of that, I feel now that I am a leader in this company, I can say it's okay. You take your time, you do what you need to, and and we're supporting our people to live their lives. We have to get the work done, but we also have to say to people, it's okay. You need and I could tell you a very you know, a lot of long stories of things that have happened to me personally since I joined. You know, when I first started with Bank of America, um, and I had already been with another company for 20 years, you know, some terrible things happened in my family. And I'll never forget the support and the understanding. Like I will never forget that because they didn't know me. I was brand new. And I've experienced that. So part of it is you understanding what your boundaries are and what you need. And again, you're going to be reassessing that always. But it's also where do you work? I mean, there's, there's places that are not as understanding or don't have the same values. And so I would say that's, that's an important piece for me. And that's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I've heard you say so many times in, in our conversations, it almost always comes up that you wouldn't do the job you're doing just anywhere. And, you know, you just talked a little bit about Bank of America and Merle and the environment. They elaborate a little more about just that support and what some of those examples look like. Because I think for our younger audience, when they're going into the workplace and they're starting their career, they have this idea of what they want, but they don't always necessarily know how to step into a culture and assess it and figure out is there a good alignment here or, you know, am I really going to be happy and have the type of, of uh, support that you're describing? So what are, what are some of those skills and or some of those ideas to just that they need to kind of hone in on and be aware of as they launch their careers and, and get to know a company?
1: I think you do need to do your homework, right? So what, what is the company's stance in diversity and inclusion? What are they doing for the environment? How do they take care of their employees? I mean, one of the things that resonates with me is when we have, when we either interview people or when they come in new, they're amazed that everybody loves working here, that everybody's proud to work here. Um, and it, it, and it's the truth, right? And I say that about, um, you know, the work that I'm doing, you know, when you think about diversity and inclusion at Bank of America Mural, our global diversity and inclusion council, is chaired by our CEO and it has been since he's been CEO. Mm. And he's never missed a meeting. And it so it comes from the top down. Our president of Merrill is committed to this work. That's who I'm responsible, you know, to update and to, you know, share the progress that we're making. It's not only demonstrated in the words and the commitments, right? But it's in the actions that you see. And I, I just I think this work is so important and so meaningful and it's not new to us. That's the other piece, you know, for a lot of people, this is a newer journey for us. It's not a new journey. This is a journey that we've started before, you know, you know, when when Brian became CEO, he the journey was already on its way and he's made it, you know, more and more important. And so I think having your leadership truly committed to the work is extremely important for the work to to really happen. I also see so many things. We have employee networks. We have incredible resources for our teammates. I mean, I could spend an hour sitting here telling you all of the things that we're doing internally to understand each other, to celebrate each other's differences, to amplify and make sure that we're creating equity everywhere possible so that our teammates are successful and and celebrating all of that. And so I say, that's why I say I would do that here. because. I wanna do this to really make a difference. And I don't believe you can do that in an organization that the whole leadership isn't committed to it. And that's, I feel that, right? And I see it. Um, and that's why I'm so excited to be in the role. I'm so proud to be in the role with Bank of America, Merle.
0: No. And- I mean, I bet, I bet we've got lots of listeners sitting here going, wow, that's what, that's the type of environment I'm looking for. When you first opened up a little bit ago, you mentioned you're, you're, you know, you're a mentor, you're a sponsor and, and that's it. Those are two distinctions that I've really kind of honed in on the last uh, several months here. I often hear so many people talking about the importance of the mentoring and the mentorship programs, which yeah, yes, they are. But we also know that so many of the advancements, particularly up in the level that you're at now, at this point in your career, you don't get to those without sponsorships. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'd love to hear, you know, just kind of your take on the, the, the difference. And some of when you're approaching and when you're mentoring versus when you're sponsoring, what those nuances look like to help give our our audience things to keep an eye out for and and help them understand the nuances and the differences, because there is a difference between the two. Um, So I'd love for you to to elaborate a little bit on that for everybody.
1: Sure. So when you are a mentor to someone, you're helping them in their development. And you're helping them not only in the development to um, do a better job in the job they have, but just overall in their development, right? Not only for the job they have, but for the jobs they seek or for their potential. And so having those very deliberate conversations, I've had the opportunity to sit in when one of my mentees is doing a presentation so that I can give them feedback. How effective was your message? You know, all, all of the details that would, that would provide value so that the individual actually grows, right? When you are a sponsor, that typically comes from being a mentor, right? You've mentored someone or you're very familiar with them or you're working very closely with somebody. And what a sponsor is, is somebody who can raise their hand and say, I know Chris. Chris can do that job. I recommend Chris. So now it's having a basically a boardroom or a group of people who can speak to what you bring to the table and will advocate for you. Right. And you never know what that's going to look like. Now, what I would say to the audience is, you know, if if there's a certain field that you want to go into, or if there's a certain department in your company that you want to go to, then it would make sense that you have sponsorship that is connected to those areas because that's where the voice is most powerful. Now, In my company, what's really awesome, um, and how I, you know, ended up in this role, is that I had worked with so many people in different uh, in different roles that when this role came available, they could call people from different parts of the organization and say, "What is your experience?" And so sometimes you don't even know who those sponsors are. Just so you know, so I look at it this way: every time I'm interacting with people, or I'm sitting in a meeting, or I'm offering my contributions. I am always thinking about who's listening, mm. right? Mm. because those could be your future sponsors, but sponsors are the people that can speak to what you bring to the table and are willing to advocate for you
0: yeah and and so for for again kind of our our college age early career listeners, what's your advice on seeking out those sponsors and and trying to in- be intentional of, I mean, do you go up and ask directly or is this something that's more organic? What's your What's your experience there that you would recommend?
1: So I believe in asking for what you want. So I've had people ask me, whether we're at a meeting, at, a, at an event, I've had people email me. I would like you to mentor me, which you consider being my mentor. And in my career, I've had situations where, I have looked at people and said, I want that person to be my mentor, right? Because there's something in how they're messaging or what they're accomplishing that tells me I'm going to learn from them. And, and I need to learn that from them, right? So I think you need to be very deliberate about it. I do think you need to ask. Don't be shy. The worst that somebody's going to say to you is no. And if I don't have the capacity, let's say, for example, then I can say, I know, let's have a conversation. I know who would be a great mentor for you. I think sponsorship, to your point, Chris, starts with mentorship because you've got to get to know the person, especially if you're not working with them day to day. You've got to get to know who they are and what they bring to the table in order to be able to to stand up for them and to be a sponsor for them.
0: I I think that's great advice. And and the last one that I, I kind of want to hone in on is, you know, you've got s- so much messaging right now in the inclusion space around being your authentic self, bringing your whole self to work, um, authentic leadership. I mean, it's it's th- they're hot words, right? And, mm-hmm. and they're almost overused in some cases. But I think at the end of the day, we all want to be able to show up at work and have a sense of belongingness, and And I think in the inclusion conversation right now, this is, this is definitely front and center and, and, and and again, and sometimes it's almost overused in some ways, but I guess my point is, is that and company doesn't always change for just an individual and there's this balancing act of bringing your authentic self to the table, but also recognizing what the culture is and is not. And, and so how do we, how do we balance both as a young, early career, right? To person entering the workplace. How do I, how do I, I'm here and yet recognize, oh, this is the culture of the company at the same time and learn the balance.
1: Yeah. I think that's a changing dynamic, Chris. I think years ago you walked in and you had to adjust to the culture. A lot of the conversations we're having is when somebody new comes in, you have a new culture, right? Because you have somebody adding to that team. So what is the new team dynamic and what is the new culture? I think as an individual, especially at entry level, again, you've got to do your homework. What does, you know, if, if I were to start with a new company and I was brand new, I would want to talk to some of the people that work there. What's it like to work there? Am I going to fit there? Because you need to know what you need. Like I need, for me personally, I need you to be nice to me. I will work really hard. But if your approach is mean, it's not going to work for me. And I'm just being very basic on that example. But you've got to understand what is the general culture. The other piece is what are you willing to give up and what are you willing not to give up? and I mentioned this early in our dialogue, I was told by a previous company that I needed to change my style and I would not do it. So that's when I came to Bank of America because I said, I'm not being mean to people because that's what the company's asking of me, right? So you have to say, what am I willing to change and what am I not willing to change? Because you will be surprised at what you bring to the table and what how that will improve the team and how will that and how that will improve the culture. Right. So it's a wishy-washy answer because I feel like we're in the middle of transition in that.
0: Yeah. It's no yeah. No, you know what I mean? I do. I think I think you're right there. Like and and I am listening and I can relate because I've had leaders and you know at one point in the journey they were they were definitely mentors and and advice of like you never apologize as an executive. And then yet I have no problem apologizing <laughs> and saying, I'm sorry, or, you know, whatever. So that's one of those that, you know, I kind of took that advice. I listened to it, but I never really did anything with it because that wasn't something I was willing to give up. I felt like if I didn't say I was sorry, when I really felt sorry, then I wasn't being true to myself. Right. And, you know, so I think there's along the way, you, you have those mentors and you have these people you look up to. And it doesn't mean that every single thing that comes out of their mouth, you have to absorb. You just kind of listen, you, you take it in. And then to your point, you've got to figure out how, how does that advice or how does that guidance fit into who you want to be and, and yeah. where you want to go and how you want to do the job and how you want to lead the people around you.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. Being a learner is, is observing. I have learned great things from many leaders. And I have also learned things that I do not want to do as a leader.
0: Right. And that doesn't make it right or wrong, right? Like really. it's it's their style that works for them. And right. it makes them who they are and the leader that they are. But for me, I'm going, I want to be that, that same caliber leader, but I'm going to do it a slightly different way. Yep. And, and that's all okay. Awesome. So I do want to shift into a little more of, uh, maybe a technical area of the, the bank of America and the Merrill Lynch and, and talk a little bit about the Hispanic community overall with regards to financial literacy. And, you know, I, I think this is a dynamic that to your point has started to change and it's very generational, but I think there's still resistance oftentimes with the financial systems uh, within the Hispanic community, and and maybe uh, a little bit of lack of trust there, and and some other things. But, you know, as you've grown up, as you immigrated in, as you're now working in this industry, you know what's what's some of the the resources or messaging that you'd you'd love to just share with the audience on this this topic.
1: Thank you, Chris, and I understand it firsthand, right? I mean, I lived in the household where there was no trust. So what I will say is, and and I say this because it might sound obvious. But I say in every chance I get, we do what we do because we want to help clients. That's why we're here. When you look at a company like Bank of America Merrill, we're also very committed to our communities. And I could spend another hour telling you all the things we do to serve our communities, especially our Hispanic, Latino, Black, African-American, people of color, racial equality, all of it. But what I will tell you is that we One of the things I love about this company is that we're always like one step ahead thinking, how can we do this without anybody telling us? Right. So we understand the changing needs. We understand the growing population. And we're saying, how can we serve these communities? And we understand that being in language builds a great barrier of trust for the Hispanic Latino community. You know, speaking Spanish myself, having parents that only spoke Spanish, I totally understand. So we have something called um, Better Money Habits. And we deliver this program across the whole country, and we do it to serve individuals. We do it in small groups. We serve small business. And many of the programs are already in Spanish. And we have teammates that are delivering it in Spanish. Listen, I I was one of those teammates, right? Before I had this role, at one point, I worked in the financial center's And I would do these presentations because, again, a lot of different communities don't necessarily trust because they come from different, you know, either different places or they, the person, like I look at my mother, right? Like she only went to a doctor that spoke Spanish, just to give you an example. So better money habits, really great content because our goal is to help everybody live their financial goals, right? That really is why we're doing what we're doing. And so if you Google it, Better Money Habits, it'll come up and you can see where it is in your area, how you get access to that information. It's, it's incredible. And we're always looking at how we evolve it, how we make it better, how we answer the questions that our clients are facing and what products and services we're thinking of to serve those communities as well.
0: Awesome. And, and Better Money Habits, I love that. So if you think about SHIB, and you think about our membership, gosh, I mean, I've, I've talked a little bit about the demographics, but these guys are graduating with engineering degrees, predominantly tech degrees, makes up about 25% of our, our membership as well. They're walking in and they're landing great jobs straight out of school. Oftentimes, the, those first paychecks, I, I heard a lady yesterday at, at sui standing in line and she said, you know, the first paycheck I got, I went and bought a $1,000 Lego set because it was my first big, real adult purchase for me of something that I could have never afforded without the degree and, and the abilities and things that I had had. And not to say that we all need to go buy and make a thousand dollar purchase. But my point is, is that so many of our students are graduating and launching careers with paychecks that they never really grew up or, or had any type of exposure to that, had the money. Um, so what's your best advice for that first paycheck and, and those first couple of years with regards to setting them yourself up financially when, when you landed the job that has the bigger paycheck than what you ever expected?
1: Yeah, so two things. So I have to go back to the fact that Bank of America Merrill is a technology company. Almost half of our entire employee population, which is about I think north of 90,000 teammates work in technology. So I had to throw that out there, right? So come work for it. us. I love it, I love it. Please, we want you to come work for us. And we're really proud of the relationship that we have with you. But I would say get a financial advisor. Everybody has this, well, not everybody, but a lot of people have a misconception that you have to have a lot of money to start planning how you save, right? And so uh, we have different tiers of how we support you in that journey, right? at Merrill. And you can go into a financial center, we have financial solutions advisors sitting in our financial centers who can say, you know, this is why you need to think about this. We have all the systems and the framework to help you have those conversations. What I would say to everybody listening is be open about it. You know, when you go to the doctor and they tell you to get on the scale, you don't say I'm not letting you weigh me. You do whatever the doctor needs in order to assess what you need. And that's what A conversation with you know a financial advisor or financial solutions advisor does for you, Mm. Um, and obviously I think you should go to Merrill or Bank of America because we're the best. But in in, uh, honesty, start young because you'll be able to save for your retirement. You'll be able to figure out how to save the best possible way to meet the goals because it's all about saving for what's important to you, right? For some people, it's you know paying for college for their kids. For some people, it's buying a home. For some people, it's going on a great trip. For some people, it's retiring when they're 40. Whatever that, whatever those goals are, which are very personal, we can work with you to make sure that we're helping you get there. The earlier you do that, the more success that you're likely to have. That would be the biggest advice. And, you know, I have a daughter who's 34 and she already has a Merrill Lynch financial advisor. So <laughs> nice,
0: nice, yeah. uh, and, and you know it's going to be at Merrill with with <laughs> it being your daughter. <laughs> but, so I mean, Claudia, I just want to thank you for for being with us today. Um, I always wrap up. Uh, so one of my personal brands that that I've really started emphasizing and talks a little bit about who I am and my leadership is a concept called grace, grit, and grilling, and. Um, I'm a firm believer. I'm a foodie myself and a firm believer that so much of leadership can be found in, in food. And there's just a neutralizer within sitting around a table, sharing a meal, breaking bread and, and really getting to know people. And in fact what did we do the first time we met? That was exactly where we looked down and we were like, wow, we've been sitting here almost three hours talking and it was over charcuterie. <laughs> so, you know, food just has this, this <laughs> hour to bring people together and, and do conversation. So I always like to end uh, a ship Out Loud podcast with hearing about what your favorite food is and, you know, just what that description is for, for our audience.
1: Sure. Um, so I was married to a chef. And my daughter's an amazing cook. Uh, and I felt I needed to say that. But my favorite cook of all time is my mother. And my favorite foods are empanadas, arepas, and tamales. And by the way, I can make all three now. But I agree with you, Chris. When I eat those fruits, I mean, I think they're incredibly delicious, but it's more than that, right? It's, it's honoring her, um, it's honoring the family. And the background, it's bringing us together. It's celebrating who we are. It's celebrating the love that we shared eating those foods together. So for me, it's so emotional when I make those foods for my daughters or for my, you know, the people, friends that I have over because it's more than that to me. And so I agree with you. I think, I think Colombian food is delicious. Like, Delicious and I'm really proud because I've mastered my empanadas, my anippas are out of this world, but my tamales are almost there, but they are really good.
0: All right. So talk to me about the empanadas for a minute. Okay. Um sweet or savory. What's what's the what's the filling that that you you know you just you love it? Yeah. yeah. So you,
1: you use a cornmeal dough.
0: Okay. And
1: it has a little bit of vanilla, which is a little sweetener, and then on the inside it's ground beef potatoes, and then you make guiso, which is tomato and scallion, uh, really well sauteed. And then you put that in and you use paprika and cumin and you mix it all together. And then you make the empanadas. And And the, the trick is to make the dough thin enough, right, that you get a lot of meat, like a lot of filling, and then you deep fry them. And they are out of this world, like out of this world.
0: And then the hard part is letting them cool enough that you don't burn the inside of your mouth. Yes. Um yeah. The patience yes. of it. It's it's like slicing a brisket and bringing it off the the smoke very you you have to <laughs> let it rest. Or you know, you slice too early, it, it loses and it becomes dry, loses all the juice. So you just sit there and smell it and you know what you're so good. you're in for. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh my god, all they're right. so
1: good. Every time I tell people I'm making them, they're like, really? Oh my gosh. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well,
0: Claudia, again, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time and visiting with us and sharing not only your professional story, but your personal story. I, I hope it resonates with so many of our members and I just look forward to keeping the, the conversation going. And uh, thank you for everything you do as well.
1: And for you too, Chris, you're a leader in all that you're doing and you're making a difference in, in the people's lives that you touch and I think the work that you're doing is tremendous and I'm so grateful for the partnership that we have uh, and I'm really honored that I got the opportunity to talk to you today.
0: Well, that's a wrap on this truly inspiring interview and I wanna thank Claudia from just the bottom of my heart for being so transparent and open with us today on your story and your journey. I think it's interviews like this that really do impact and change the lives of our members and our listeners. And they're so inspiring at the same time. We'll be back again next month with another Hispanic leader in STEM. And until then, you can always check us out on our website at shep.org or on our social media platforms. To become a member today, go to the website, click join in the top right and enter code POD22. That's POD22. And remember you belong here and you belong at every table in the STEM industry. So, until next month, y'all take care, and we'll talk to you soon, Tamilia. The Chabelle podcast was produced by Epics Productions. Hi, my name is Alex, and I'm the founder of Epics, where we produce podcasts with purpose. I started Epics to help amazing people and organizations create an accessible, engaging podcast for the stories that need to be heard so that we can continue to make a greater positive impact on our world. Epics Productions will fully produce a professional podcast for your truly dynamic stories. We will launch, produce, and edit a podcast specifically for your organization that is centered around your message and mission to help you or your organization capture the attention of the next generation of activists and philanthropists go to epicsproductions.com to learn more and follow all of the shows in the epics podcast network to hear more epic stories